Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. the ultimate kibosh. (laughs) (laughs) And we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. We survived the first wave of free agency, and here with me to break down all of the NFL transactions from last week is Ian Harditz, the director of the Fantasy Labs NFL platform and an Action Network analyst. You can follow him in the Action Network app at iHarditz. Also use the app to get real-time odds and track your bets for free. Ian, how's it going? Good, man. I'm ready to uh, talk about something that actually matters. Get away from these brackets for a second. Okay, well, if people couldn't notice, Ian is on his phone, and that is because, Ian, you are traveling, right? Like right now, you are in Las Vegas? I am in Las Vegas. It's going to be a nice little week here in, uh, in the warm weather. 79 degrees out here, uh, quite the upgrade from Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> yeah. are, you, uh, are you going to the Action Network party at the Palms? I will be at the Action Network party at the Palms. I think anyone who is, anyone's going to be there, so... Yes. And the good thing is that if you are in Vegas, you, uh, the listener, not you, Ian, if you are there, it is on Wednesday. It's totally free, 100% free. It's at Mabel's Barbecue at the Palms on Wednesday at 7 p.m. local time, of course. Uh, Again, it is free. Free drink ticket. If you RSVP, you get an Action Network t-shirt and other swag. Uh, You get to hang out with Ian uh, most importantly, and then also some <laughs> other guys like uh, Chad Millman, Darren Ravel, Paula Duca, uh, Blackjack Fletcher, Stucky, Justin Fan, and uh, maybe some other people will also be there. So to RSVP, go to go.actionnetwork.com slash madness dash party. One more time. That is go.actionnetwork.com slash madness dash party and RSVP there. Ian. Let's jump into the show. And I should say I'm a little bit jealous that you are uh, going to go to the party and uh, have so much fun there, but whatever. I, I soldier on in the, the cold of Iowa. That's just, that's what I do. Uh, okay, let's get into the show. First trade, we should talk about uh, first transaction, the Odell Beckham trade going from New York to the Cleveland Browns, making them immediately one of the most interesting team in the league, as if they weren't already really interesting. but. Uh, Ian, give us some breakdown on this. 
I actually found the only guy in America that thinks the Giants won this trade in an airport bar last night. No, uh, according to him, according to him, OBJ is a diva locker room distraction. He's not worth the time. In my opinion, he's the NFL's best wide receiver and somehow just got traded for next to nothing. I mean, good. You got, you got a first and third round pick. I mean, I'm not, I'm not exactly the biggest Jabril Peppers fan in the world, but I mean, he's, I, I guess, can be a good replacement for Landon Collins. But I just don't think there's a single world where you can say that the Giants won this trade or even really came close. And now we got Baker Mayfield with, I don't know, maybe one of the better top three receiver sets in the AFC in terms of uh, OBJ, Landry, I guess uh, Dave Njoku as well. So I don't have enough good things to say about this. I know you've uh, done some looks at OBJ's props uh, right now, but I think he's ceiling's the roof. Yeah, I think it would be really hard to say that uh, Odell Beckham isn't moving into a better situation and that the Browns don't get better with this trade. You know, the Giants are rebuilding. So I guess from that perspective, I, I kind of get it. But it's just, it's a tough situation for them all the way around. I really like what this does for Beckham in that he has an ascending quarterback. I think, you know, Mayfield last year was better than, <laughs> than Eli Manning has been over the last two years. I think Manning will continue to decline. <laughs> I mean, the, you know, Mayfield is just going to get better. So it's a, it's a great situation for him and I think for OBJ. I think we should expect for Beckham to see something similar to what we've seen out of him over the past, you know, five years. Uh, basically, the what he's averaged in his career, I think that's pretty close to what he's going to average with Mayfield. I think the big question, though, is whether he's going to see fewer targets. And I think that's probable, given that he does have a, a target hog across the field for him and, and Jarvis Landry. But I think this is really good things for Mayfield. And then if you look at the Giants offense, I don't think anyone there is really helped all that much except for Evan Ingram. I think uh, we will probably see Sterling Shepard get pretty close to the usage he's seen in the past when OBJ is out, but it's not as if that's really done all that much for him as a, a fantasy asset. Uh, but Evan Ingram has seen a huge boost in production when OBJ has been out. So uh, I think it's it's very good for him. But uh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking here. Any final thoughts on OBJ? Yeah, I like the Evan Ingram call. I mean, he's definitely had superior splits with OBJ out. The problem is the Giants' offense as a whole has just been so much worse without OBJ, which yeah. makes sense. You take away your team's you know best playmaker with all due respect to Saquon, and yeah, the whole team gets worse. They averaged four fewer points per game in 20 games without Beckham since 2014. I mean, Eli's splits with or without Beckham are just brutal. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and honestly, Eli put together statistically his best season last year that he's had in the last three or four years, but even that wasn't really close to what Mayfield was able to put up. So it's one of those situations where, I mean, Saquon's going to have the volume, but other than that, I, I think I'm, I'm leaning towards just trying to stay away from this offense as much as possible because it's definitely got the look of a train wreck right now. Yeah, to uh, to put some perspective on Baker Mayfield, like I think there's a he's not going to win MVP, but I think he has like a, a shot of, of doing it. Eli Manning with Odell Beckham Jr. Like before he declined, so in his like 2014 to 2016 seasons, he had close to 4,300 yards, 30 touchdowns, and about 15 interceptions per year with Beckham. So. I think Mayfield just kind of inherently on his own could do better than that. And then you add the fact that this offense is getting offensive coordinator Todd Munkin, who with the Buccaneers last year had the offense that was number one 
in passing yards, number three in passing touchdowns, and was highly aggressive in throwing the ball down the field, which I think is an area where both Beckham and Mayfield have success. And then if they are able to get their timing down, I think like their success together could just be very synergistic. So I'm, I'm really excited specifically about what this means for Mayfield. I think Beckham is more or less the same as long as he has a fairly competent quarterback, but I think this is great for Mayfield. 100%. This, that's a good point, Munkin. And yeah, Baker now gets to throw to anyone's idea of a top five wide receiver. I mean, last year we saw these deep balls going to Rashard Higgins and Brashad freaking Perryman, and Baker kind of made it work. So now he's finally getting the talent around him to really thrive. And I don't hate that MVP call, Matt. I mean, we'll see what the odds uh, come out at, but if he's not a top five candidate, I'll definitely lay down some bones on that. Yeah. Let's go to the next guy. The, the number one free agent in the class by almost anyone's uh, like definition or kind of metric of looking at guys was Le'Veon Bell. After sitting out the 2018 season, and at this point, what seems to be a horribly misguided decision, at least from a financial perspective, but he is signed with the Jets. What should we take away from this? The great news for us fantasy players of the world is that we got another workhorse three down RB back in play. I mean, and look, I've seen a bunch of Le'Veon Bell uh, stats and breakdowns, him versus James Conner, pretty similar as rushers. I'm not denying that Le'Veon's maybe running ability isn't top three in the league or anything. I, I've always thought the part that separated him as a playmaker was his ability as a receiver. I mean, he lines up as a wide receiver in the slot, really just looks as pure as any other of these guys. And I mean, his original, I guess, case for wanting the bigger contract was that his production was out of an RB1 and as a wide receiver too. So I mean, it backs up on the film, and he joins Larry Center, Marshall Falk, and Roger Craig as the only running backs ever with at least three seasons with 75 or more catches. So I'm sure we'll see some guys like McCaffrey break into that. But still, Le'Veon Bell was truly ahead of his time in terms of just revolutionizing the uh, running back position and getting all those targets. You can't ask for a better uh, fantasy spot for him to go to than the Jets because they were missing a running back and behind Robbie Anderson. I like Chris Herndon and tight end, but they were really missing a number two uh, receiver as well. And we'll see what Jameson Crowder can bring to them in the slot. But I think in terms of workload, he couldn't have asked to go to a better team. And I don't know. I I like these Jets to uh, make a little bit of a comeback this year. I think Darnold played a lot better as the season went on. I mean, he was the youngest, I believe, quarterback since Mike Vick to uh, even start as a rookie. So we shouldn't have expected the most absurd first season anyway. And I mean, maybe I'm a little over-optimistic on a guy that uh, just sat out a year and, you know, reportedly ballooned up uh, to around 250 or so. But I have real high expectations for Bell to step back in as a top five running back. Yeah, I have some some thoughts on this, and, and they align with what you said. I think he's going to be very undervalued this year in redraft leagues, specifically by the people who drafted him last year and, <laughs> and who just don't even, like, they're too burned, you know? So, like, I think there's already going to be, like, a tenth to a twelfth of the market that is just too low on him because of what happened last year. And then I think there are going to be people who – think that because he's going to a situation that is clearly a step down, I think just in terms of what you expect from the 2019 Jets offensively versus the 2013 to 2017 Steelers, obviously the Jets are not going to be as prolific in scoring points. Um, Because of that difference, I think there are people who will downgrade Bell. But what is important is that he's going to get a lot of touches. Uh, I think almost as many touches as he was given previously. The thing that does give me a little bit of pause is Adam Gase as uh, the offensive play caller. The Dolphins under 
his oversight did play slower, not just slower than the Steelers, but just kind of slower in general. But I still think Bell is going to be the guy who's seen a lot of touches. And there aren't, as you said, that many guys who really get that type of usage. So, I mean, I think it's fair for him probably to get around 20 touches per game. He's probably still going to be utilized heavily in the passing game, especially because, as you said, they don't have a lot of other options there, at least options that are firmly established. Uh, So, yeah, I, I like what he's able to do. And I think the time off isn't going to be as big of a factor as people think. So there, there could be a couple ways in which you would go. You would either say, okay, he's spent a year away from the game not getting hit, uh, not you know accumulating hundreds of touches, so he might be fresher. That's like one way someone could look at it. Or they could say like, yeah, uh, he's out of shape. I think people are going to skew to the out of shape side on this, and that could be another thing that makes people devalue him in drafts. But if you look historically, and it's not as if we have a huge sample of guys who have sat out for a year for non-injury reasons, but the guys who have done it have been guys of a high caliber. So John Riggins did it in 1980 when he was in a contract holdout with the Washington Redskins. Uh, He basically made the Hall of Fame because of everything he did after that season. And he was old, by the way, like he was 30 when he held out. We saw Adrian Peterson miss 15 games of the 2014 season because of suspension. The next year he came back, he was 30 years old, and he led the league in carries, rushing yards, and rushing touchdowns. We saw Marshawn Lynch retire, you know, quote-unquote retire in 2016, come back in 2017, and he had, I wouldn't say it was a great season, but he had over 1,000 yards from scrimmage, seven touchdowns, uh, and he looked actually much better in the second half of that season Uh, He had over 90 scrimmage yards per game in the second half. Like maybe he was kind of working his way back into shape. And he was a 31-year-old when that happened. We also saw Ricky Williams sit out two seasons, one for retirement, one for suspension. When he returned, he played into his 30s, and he was still a pretty good player. And then, I mean, this is a slightly different situation. Bo Jackson sat out as a rookie because he didn't want to play for the Buccaneers. He just went and played baseball. Uh, And then the Raiders drafted him the next year. So there are guys, like every time we've seen a guy of a high caliber sit out a season for something other than injury, when he's returned, he's actually been pretty productive. So like, I'm really not all that worried about conditioning for Bell or anything like that. He's still 27. You know, he's, I would say like in his running back prime, I think he has another season or two of, of good usage where we should expect him to be pretty productive. So that's where I'm at on Le'Veon Bell. But uh, obviously, this uh, opens up more holes, I would say. Not holes, but opportunities for the running backs who are left with the Pittsburgh Steelers. What are your thoughts on those guys? I'm not quite sure what to think here because we've seen both James Conner and Jalen Samuels uh, perform at a high level in this offense without Bell. I mean, you know, Pittsburgh didn't make the playoffs last year, but I don't think that was really because Bell wasn't there per se. I mean, they were still getting plenty of production out of those running backs. And they do need some more, uh, obviously, pass catchers, which I think Samuels has the edge over Conner with that base. You know, we've seen that going back to uh, college production as well. But at the same time, every single time one of these Steelers running backs has missed time, we see the next guy up go and immediately inherit, you know, 80% snaps and a three-down workload. So 
I'm not saying it's not in their best interest to do some sort of a committee with James Conner and Jalen Samuels, but right now I'm leaning towards James Conner kind of being that three-down guy again. Maybe not playing 90% snaps like he was for stretches, but I, I don't think it's crazy to think we could see Conner, you know, 70% snap club and, you know, really getting around maybe not 20 touches per game, but at least 15 or so. And, you know, that was RB1 production from last year. So I'm still all about uh, investing in this backfield, even without Bell and AB. Yeah, I want both of these guys. I think they will start to skew a little more towards giving both of them touches. And I think that would come at the expense of the wide receivers. You know, you lost Antonio Brown. You lost 160 to 180 targets over the last, you know, five to six years. I think what's going to happen is they, instead of passing – uh, and just redistributing all of those targets to other guys, I think they're going to lean a little bit more on their running backs and then also give some of those targets to Samuels. So I could see more two-back sets with both of them on the field, and I could just see them running a little bit more. So even if James Conner doesn't get, let's say, like 80 or 90% of the work the way that Le'Veon Bell did a few years ago, you could still have James Conner with a – a strong running back one type of season. And you could also see Samuels as a guy who gets his production as a change of pace back uh, or someone who actually kind of plays sometimes as a slot receiver because he does have that versatility to play as a fullback and then to, to move out and, and play as a receiver if they need him to. So uh, I, I want both of those guys. And also if God forbid something happens to either of them, then we have just a sure, surefire lock and load RB one again. Yeah. Let's talk about Deshaun Jackson. Wasn't a free agent, but was traded, and there was always some speculation as to whether he would finish his contract in Tampa Bay. He has been traded back home to the Philadelphia Eagles, the uh, the team that drafted him in the second round over a decade ago. Ian, what are your thoughts on this trade? I think this was a huge, huge uh, trade and really positions the Eagles to be the favorites of the NFC East, I think they easily have the best and most explosive pass offense now. And look at when the Eagles have been great over these last two years. Obviously, one Super Bowl, 2017, and a big part of their offense, you know, these guys weren't consistently getting fed the ball, but they always had one of Torrey Smith or Mac Hollins on the field. They'd have Alshon Jeffrey on the other side, Nelson Aguilar in the slot, Zach Ertz a tight end. Aguilar can you know, he can stretch the field a little bit, but we have seen him be better in the slot throughout his career when he can work his uh, quickness a little bit better. He struggled on the outside, and Ertz and Jeffrey obviously aren't really known as field stretchers. And just having that deep threat forced defenses to stay honest and really opened up that middle area of the field for both Ertz and Jeffrey. They didn't have that last year. They tried to have it. They have Mike Wallace and Matt Collins again to start the year, but both those guys were on IR by, I think it was week three. So they really had to play the entire season with Jordan Matthews as their de facto field stretcher. Carson Wentz made it work for a little bit. I mean, it wasn't, they weren't atrocious, but now they're pretty much substituting Jordan Matthews with the league's reigning leader in yards per reception. I mean, DJX was averaging 18.9 yards per catch last year, and he has also literally increased the yards per attempt of every single QB he's ever played with compared to what they were uh, producing previously. So, again, they were one of the best offenses in the league when they had Torrey Smith and Mac Holland serving as a field stretcher, and now they pretty much got the absolute richest man version of either of those guys they could imagine. So I'm really excited what they're going to do there. And then also uh, – adding in that this will, this will help Dallas Goddard, I think, uh, potentially get on the field more. I think we'll see more Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz, two-by-two two sets. And there are weapons all over the place on this Eagles offense. If they can figure out their backfield, I think a little more, look out. 
Yeah. I agree. I think it's a great move, not even so much for Jackson, although I I think this does benefit him in that he never really had a strong connection with Jameis Winston, but a great move for the Eagles and everyone else in that offense. And as you've mentioned, this, this is something that in the past when he's been on the field, it's not just that his quarterbacks have displayed a strong outside of Winston, a strong connection with him, although most of them have. It's also that it opens up everything else for the rest of the people on the offense. So his quarterbacks have done better when he's just on the field, able to distract the defense and make them have to account for him deep. So I think this improves, obviously, Carson Wentz. I think it improves the prospects for literally all of the other players on that offense. But I think it is good for for Jackson, too, in that I mean, he just wasn't able, for whatever reason, to connect with Jameis Winston. But I think he will be able to connect better under Doug Peterson's offense. So I still wouldn't like project him for like 1,000 yards receiving or something like that. I think he will do more or less, probably, let me rephrase that. He will do more than what he's done the last couple of years in Tampa Bay. But I don't know if he's going to uh, really to approach 1,000 yards, but I'd say like 800 to 900 is probably fair. For Tampa Bay, this is pretty exciting, I think, in that it opens up Chris Godwin a lot, who previously was splitting snaps with Deshaun Jackson. And then it, there are many snaps now to go around, in part because also Adam Humphreys is gone. So Godwin, I mean, I think this is a situation where I don't want to say like he's a a top 20 receiver in redraft leagues, but like wherever he is going, he provides value. So like he's someone I'm really targeting for redraft. What about you? Oh, 100%. I'm just trying to figure out exactly how this Tampa Bay offense is going to look because I have very high expectations for how they're going to perform with Bruce Arians there and his, you know, downfield attack. We saw it in Arizona. He really made stars out of John Brown, he got the most out of Michael Floyd, obviously almost brought Larry Fitzgerald back from the dead by moving him to the slot and really allowing him to flourish there. And now we're looking at it, like you said, Humphreys is gone. We have O.J. Howard and Cam Brate. Arians didn't really get a tight end super involved during his time in Arizona, but I also don't think he had a tight end with the type of talent as O.J. Howard. So keeping that in mind a little bit, but our starting three wide receiver sets right now are looking like Mike Evans, Chris Goblin, and I think Brashad Perryman, who they signed, as kind of like the de facto field stretcher. But with that in mind, I think we could see Chris Goblin in that starting slot role, and it'd be very just matchup friendly for him because uh, we've seen the Marshawn Lattimore's of the world and all these number one corners typically travel with Mike Evans on the outside. So even if Evans is still you know, the leader in targets on that team. I don't think there's any reason why both Evans and Goblin can't go over triple digit targets. And Goblin could be that guy that has the better matchup every single week. If uh, the number one cornerbacks continue to stay on the outside with Evans, because we've seen him produce whenever uh, DJX has been out. I mean, six games without him, Goblin was able to get at least 98 yards in four of those games. And, you know, has scored, uh, I believe it was four touchdowns in those six games. So a whole bunch of production. We've seen it. It's just been a matter of opportunity. And now he's going to have all the opportunity he can handle ideally. So I'm just uh, really curious about if Arians is going to make him kind of a younger, more explosive Larry Fitzgerald, or if we'll see him more on the outside and perhaps more OJ or someone to be named in the slot. Yeah, it's a good question about where he's going to play. For me, I'm I'm just going to – it's not as if I'm going to ignore it, but I'm pretty much going to ignore it because I think wherever he plays, he's going to get the targets, whether it's inside or outside. 
if he's inside, that is definitely interesting because a lot of teams kind of try to hide their weakest cornerback in the slot. And I think Godwin will destroy whoever he's going against if he's in the slot. If he's outside, I think what that means is that we might see more two tight end sets, even though that is like totally something that Arians never did. I think we could see OJ Howard basically playing as a slot receiver with Cameron Brait playing as the kind of blocking inline tight end. One guy maybe to keep an eye on, you mentioned Brashad Perryman. Another guy who's interesting is Justin Watson, who was an incredibly productive player in college at Pennsylvania, drafted in the seventh round because he was a small school guy, but he's big and he's athletic. We know that Bruce Arians really privileges speed, and Watson is a guy who does have a lot of speed for his size. So uh, he's someone, I I know they signed Perryman, but I, I think Watson is better than Perryman. I would give Watson the nod. So if this is an offense that we're interested in, and we think there's the potential maybe for three receivers actually to be viable, Watson is someone to keep in mind. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I I agree with you. Wherever Goblin ends up lining up, I think he's going to be the number two uh, pass game target. He'll be getting plenty of targets regardless. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on who emerges as their kind of go-to field stretcher because we saw how quickly Smokey Brown with Arizona was able to kind of bust some big plays and it's Bruce Arians, you know, no risk it, no biscuit offense. And if it is Perryman, if it is Watson – I'm not saying those guys will have kind of week-to-week consistency in a season long, but those could be the guys, you know, with a sub-4K salary on DraftKings that we attack because of that high ceiling. Yeah, and we we didn't really even mention Mike Evans yet. I don't know if the trade really opens up much for him. He's already, I think, a you know, a top-end guy who could challenge for 1,500 yards, you know, which is what he got last year. So I think it's just kind of more of the same for him. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, he's – we should expect maybe a little drop off in turn. I'm not sure if we should expect a drop off in the offense. I mean, we've seen Deshaun Jackson elevate, you know, for all the reasons we talked about Philly improving, just that having that type of speed on the field. If they're not able to replicate that, I could see that being a problem for someone like Evans who doesn't necessarily have uh, the wheels to uh, get loose on his own all the time. But at the end of the day, I mean, we've seen Winston and him have the type of chemistry and he's so dang big anyway, it's hard to uh, keep him away from the ball. So I'm, I'm pretty confident Evans and Goblin are going to be able to figure it out regardless of how the rest of it uh, plays out. All right. This is kind of a tangential question, but uh, is Mike Evans a Hall of Famer? Yes. He's uh, one of four receivers, I believe, of 40 touchdowns since 2015. Does not get the respect. And yeah, like you said, 1,500 yards last year. He had a slightly down, it seems like, uh, 2017 just from his standards. But what the guy's been in the league, I think, five years. He's, I mean, he's also on that short list of amount of 1,000 yard seasons and your first five years. Everything he's done at this point screams Hall of Fame receiver. And I think with his size, at the very least, he can keep being a red zone threat for years to come. I mean, if Brandon Marshall could score uh, 14 touchdowns when he was like 33 with the Jets, I don't see why Evans can't uh, kind of keep up that kind of pace as he gets older. Yeah, I agree. I think he has, has a real shot, of an undervalued shot. People just don't respect him. And he's one of only three receivers in NFL history with 1,000 yards receiving in each of his first five seasons. Nice. The other two are Randy Moss and AJ Green. You know, I, I and like I think Green is probably a Hall of Famer too. 
But uh, I mean, Evans has to keep it up. But what he's done to this point is pretty incredible, and he just doesn't get the um, props for it. Bringing it back to Deshaun Jackson, it will be, I think, definitely nice to see him uh, you know, finish his career in an Eagles uniform. On the topic of clothing, I'm going to talk about Mack Weldon. Oh, yeah. It's been a while since I had the privilege of getting to talk about Mack Weldon to a captive audience. But now, once again, I get to talk about how comfortable I am and how good I look in my Mac Daddy Weldon hoodie. I hate shopping for clothes. I hate shopping online. I hate shopping for clothes online, but yet I find myself magnetically drawn to Mac Weldon's website, which is easy to use. They have a smart design for the site, which makes searching for items really intuitive. And as a result, I am slowly but surely building up my collection of Mac Weldon items so that I one day can have a wardrobe that 100% consists of Mac Weldon, only Mac Weldon. My wife went out of town. I went to pick her up at the airport. You know, it's a special thing. She's been away for a few days, so I wanted to look good, wanted to show her what she'd been missing. So, you know, I showered as a first step. I trimmed my beard down so I looked a little less wilderness survivor-like. And then I put on 100% Mac Weldon. They have underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants. And I was head to toe dressed in Mac Weldon. If not for having to take clothes off, so you know you can do the things that you do sometimes when you're not wearing clothes, you know what I'm talking about. I would literally never take off my Mac Weldon hoodie. What Batman suit is to Bruce Wayne, my Mac Weldon hoodie is to me. To the ordinary world, I'm just Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. But the moment I put on this Mac Weldon hoodie, I instantly transform into a guy who's willing to burn minutes of podcast time talking about the best clothing company in the entire world. What makes Mac Weldon the best? Well, first, the name. I mean, Mac Weldon just sounds like someone who was, you know, the fifth singer in a 90s boy band. Secondly, the underwear, which is made of silver, so it's naturally antimicrobial to eliminate odor. If you don't like your first pair of the best underwear in the universe, they will give you a refund and you get to keep the pair. So you literally have no reason not to buy. Get some Mac Weldon in your life. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code ACTION at checkout. Okay, Ian. So let's talk about some of these other key signings. Tevin Coleman with the 49ers, what do you think? I love it from like an on-field standpoint because Tevin Coleman's awesome. I, mean, I was tweeting during free agency, just looking at some of his routes he's run as a receiver in the slot. He's so smooth. He's so explosive. You know, really ranks highly in a bunch of efficiency measures, but we've never seen him get the volume to really go all the way and become a true RB1 with it. And we're not going to get that volume in San Francisco now. I mean, we've seen basically with Kyle Shanahan calling the shots in Atlanta with Coleman, his ceiling was pretty much like an RB20, and he was only getting there through sheer efficiency and just being a baller. And I'm not saying he can't continue to do that, but right now we got Jarek McKinnon there still. We got Matt Breda still there. We got Raheem Mostert still. We've got Kyle Juszczyk still who's playing a ton of snaps. So it's one of those situations where, yeah, Tevin Coleman definitely helps the 49ers offense because he's such a great playmaker, but it's going to be a tough guy to uh, – get behind a fantasy unless they cut Jarek McKinnon because yeah. I haven't dove in the contract a ton, but it looks like most of his guarantees already been paid. Yeah. That is the real question. Are they going to keep McKinnon? I think Breda has kind of locked in his role a little bit. I think it would be weird for them to have McKinnon and Coleman to pay both of those guys. 
and to let Brita go. So yeah, it's, it's a little bit hard to know what is happening with that backfield because there are legitimately now five guys who might end up getting, getting some action at some point. Let's talk about Tyrell Williams, uh, Tyrell the Gazelle signing with the Raiders. Downgrade for him going, going from Philip Rivers to Derek Carr, but got to give Tyrell the Gazelle props. He trails only Julio Jones, Tyreek Hill, Tyler Lockett, and Gronk among players with 100-plus targets since 2015 and yards per target. I mean, yeah, he's he's been a field stretcher, but it's even like adjusted for average target depth a little bit. I mean, he's just truly been really efficient whenever the ball is thrown his way. I think there is a chance here that we can see A.B. and Tyrell be the Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree duo that are both getting you know 120-plus targets per year. I'm just not positive, though. And the real unfortunate thing in all this is that Jordy Nelson's gone. So, oh, my gosh, we got to deal with another season of Seth Roberts in the slot and just ruining our DFS lineups every week. Uh, it doesn't look like uh, Jared Cook's going to resign there at the moment, but I'm just – It'd be ideal if all these targets go to A.B. and Tyrell Williams, but I've learned, a, I've learned a long time ago to not assume anything with Derek Carr in the center. Yeah, or John Gruden as the head coach. Uh, <laughs> one thing that I think is an underrated possibility, because like Tyrell has had a lot of potential. He is a guy who has, uh, I believe, a 1,000-yard season under his belt. There's a non-zero chance that A.B. declines a little bit faster than people think he will in that Tyrell really, really becomes like the, uh, like the juju function for this Ooh. team where a lot of attention gets shifted to Antonio Brown and Tyrell Williams is able to benefit from that. Like, I think there's a, a chance that that happens. But at like a minimum, we're talking about a guy who over the last three seasons has averaged over 800 touchdowns, sorry, not touchdowns, over 800 <laughs> yards per year. So there's, there's some potential there with him. Let's talk about Mark Ingram going from the Saints to the Ravens. I think it's best-case scenario for both parties. I mean, we saw the big difference last year. They went away from Alex Collins. They went to Gus Edwards once Lamar Jackson took over. And the big reason for that was Alex Collins, God bless the guy. I, I love watching the way he runs, but has a big-time tendency of trying to cut back. You know, he would take a lot of plays that were uh, would end up being tackles for a loss and he'd make up for it with a bigger run, but wasn't exactly what the Ravens wanted in an offense that struggled so much to pass the ball with Lamar Jackson under center. Gus Edwards was the opposite. Wasn't able to bust big plays, but he finished the year number one in success rate. You know, he consistently gets you positive yardage. That's what Mark Ingram's been for the last three years. He's finished third, first, and fifth in success rate over the last three seasons. And we've also seen him provide some home run hitting ability. I mean, he's a little bit older, but at the same time, he's never had over 230 carries in a season. I think it's something like Todd Gurley only has about 280 fewer carries than Ingram, even though Gurley came into the league something like four years later. So I think Ingram's still relatively young in terms of uh, just wear and tear on his body. And I'm a little concerned if he'll get enough snaps to truly get a 15 to 20 touch workload. But I think if that's there, he has all the makings of being a potential RB1. Yeah, I think he's going to continue to get the touches. I don't think he's going to have the touchdowns he's previously had. And that has been a a fairly significant source of his fantasy value. And then also he's gotten uh, like a kind of underappreciated number of targets over the last five years as, you know, a guy who plays in an offense with a quarterback who really likes to spread the ball around. So he's a, a good receiving back. And I think that means that he's going to be on the field more, 
but I don't think he's going to get the targets from Lamar Jackson, who I think is like less inclined to check it down to the running back and more inclined just to run the ball. But we have seen the efficiency, the added efficiency that a running quarterback adds to the running game overall and to running backs that are next to him in particular. So I do think it is a good fit for Ingram in that sense. All right, let's talk about Cole Beasley and John Brown signing with the Buffalo Bills. I don't know. What do we we have to say about two guys who are going to have Josh Allen throwing them the ball? Yeah, I was really hoping that Smokey could have gone somewhere, literally pretty much anywhere other than Buffalo, but maybe not. If uh, Josh Allen can just get a little more accurate, which I know is like the one thing that we shouldn't assume quarterbacks can really improve on. But the the one thing is he did lead the league with a 19.8% deep ball rate. I mean, no one was really throwing the ball downfield more often than Josh Allen in between his uh, wild scrambles. So I'm not confident he can really put it accurately to John Brown. But at the same time, if anyone can run down these wild deep balls, maybe it is smoky. So it's going to be inconsistent, I think. I'm not overly optimistic on Josh Allen taking a massive jump as a passer in year two, but I have way more uh, optimism for John Brown becoming a fantasy relevant guy than Cole Beasley, at least too. Look, I mean, Beasley, you know, he's similar as Adam Humphrey is just super consistent. He's catching over 70% of his targets at the same time. He's never finished higher than the PPR wide receiver 33. That was even in that Cowboys year where Dez was hurt for a lot of the time. It was almost the best case scenario. So, I really don't see a scenario where Beasley is going to be a fantasy relevant player. I think his him being there more than anything just hurts Zay Jones's outlook uh, because I think it's going to be Robert Foster and John Brown still on the outside. But the good thing is the Bills are getting some weapons because we should give Josh Allen a little bit of uh, credit in terms of that offense really had known from the throw to last year. I mean, he pretty much made Robert Foster into at least a decent uh, fantasy contributor uh, towards the end of the season. And hey, Josh Allen was the QB one, I believe those last five weeks when he was running the ball every other play. So at least he has some more weapons this year. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it works out. All right. Golden Tate with the Giants. I know he's still got the yards after catch ability, but he's aging. We saw what happened when he went to Philly. He wasn't getting fed uh, nine targets every game. And I'm not even sure where he's going to line up because Sterling Shepard has been, uh, you know, their primary slot receiver. So, again, mentioned this earlier, but I'm not even sure if it matters where he lines up. This is one of those situations where, again, I'm, I'm targeting Saquon, maybe a little bit of Evan Ingram, like you said, but I think going after uh, Golden Tate uh, isn't quite the thing to do. Yeah, it's interesting. Like a, a team like the Patriots has been able to get away with playing slot receivers <laughs> like outside. But uh, yeah, like and having like basically multiple slot receivers on the field. But I don't know if the Giants are going to be able to do that with Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate because, you know, at this point, Eli Manning isn't, uh, you know, Tom Brady. Yeah, uh, and I saw, I saw uh, I think uh, Chris Raybon had a good tweet where he was looking at the yards per route run for these guys from the slot and from the outside. I believe both Shepard and Tate had similar figures. So I'm not saying they can't still have some success on the outside. The bigger thing is just this offense as a whole without someone like OBJ to clear out that area for these more underneath dudes. And again, it's still Eli throwing the ball. So yeah, that's a good point. Nick Foles signing with the Jaguars. What do you think? I think we've seen at this point that Foles is going to kind of be a boomer bust uh, fantasy option. The question I have is who's going to benefit the most among his receivers? Because don't forget, we got Marquise Lee coming back after he missed the whole season. 
D.D. Westbrook had a really good year, too. And the guy I'm pretty high on was their uh, third-round pick from last year. It might have even been second, but D.J. Chark out of LSU, who ran a, a 4-3, one of the premier field stretchers from that class. And I think if there, any of these guys are going to be able to run down these deep balls from Foles, it could be Chark. But I don't know. Who do you, who do you think ends up leading this team in targets? Oh, that's a, that's a hard one. I mean, I guess I would say in targets, it would probably be Lee, but I don't really think of him as someone I want on my team because I don't trust his upside. I would rather take a shot on someone like Didi Westbrook because I think he has um, the field stretching ability, but also given that he plays in the slot, I think he will have easier matchups and he can also, I think, have some easier targets and then kind of turn that into yards after the catch. So uh, I I think pretty easily prefer Westbrook. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick signing with the Dolphins. So Fitz Magic last year, and we cannot overstate just how good he was as a fantasy contributor. I mean, obviously he fell off the cliff in a couple starts, but he was a top five QB in four of his seven starts. His 9.6 average of uh, yards per pass attempt was literally the third best mark ever among quarterbacks to throw at least 200 passes in a single season. So had easily the best year of his career and I don't know I don't think we should necessarily assume he's going to just crash back to earth as a terrible quarterback and he's got some weapons in Miami I mean I was really hoping they get Tyrod or Kyler Murray and become this really really fast offense because look at all these guys they got Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, Devontae Parker, even like Kenyon Drake and Mike Giusecki, all these guys are 4-4, 4-3 guys even, and there's speed all over the field. Uh, we'll see how the new offense looks and everything, but I think, I think Fitzpatrick is going to be able to enable one of these receivers to be a, a pretty consistent fantasy contributor. I'd even mention Kenny Stills, who could be the front runner for that role, but I'm not sure who it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, guaranteed, there's at least one week where Fitzpatrick wins a GPP for someone. You know, you just kind of need to stack him with one of his receivers every week, and like one week it's going to happen. Dante Moncrief signs with the Steelers. I, I like Moncrief in uh, Indy. He wasn't able to get stuff going on in uh, Jacksonville, but he averaged uh, almost a, ha- a half touchdown per game in 31 career games with uh, Andrew Luck. So we've seen him have some red zone success as long as his quarterback pretty much hasn't been Blake Bortles or Jacoby Brissett. Uh, at the same time, James Washington's already on the outside. Juju's obviously going to get fed. We talked about the running backs earlier. Vance McDonald's going to be another guy that's going to see a, a target uptick. And I'm just not really all that convinced that Dante Moncrief could be able to approach triple-digit targets. Uh, I got to look at the contract a little closer, but I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's just a one-year deal, and it's not a situation where we should necessarily expect him to just walk into a, a top two or three pass game role. Yeah, totally agree. I think he will have a couple of blow-up games, but not anything we would be able to count on. And I would be surprised if he does emerge as the like the solid, clear number two receiver. I think James Washington has a better shot at that. A guy who is interesting, uh, we talked about him last week, Devin Funches with the Colts. And I think he actually will probably play like that old Dante Moncrief role. What are your thoughts with him? Yeah, 100%. You said it. He's, I think, locked in as their number two wide receiver in that offense just based on them not really having anyone else. I mean, people kind of scoffed at that big uh, $13 million number he's getting for just one year, but Indy has so much cap room, it really didn't matter as much, and it is just one year. So, uh, But with that said, 
six foot four, 230 pounds. We've seen what luck does with any tight end they put on the field. Funches, you could, and he was playing tight end in Michigan at first. I mean, you can just call him an overly athletic tight end if you wanted to. I'm not sure. I guess you call that an insult to someone who claims to be a wide receiver, but I don't think it's going to matter in Indy. And I'd like to hear your take here, Matt, because I think Devin Funches finishes with more touchdowns than Eric Ebron next year. <laughs> That's probably a fair take. Like, I think he will certainly finish with more targets. I think the big question is uh, how much is Ebron going to be on the field? Are they going to do the thing where they limit his snaps? Does Jack Doyle return and play a lot of the snaps and, and kind of relegate Ebron to more of a specialized role? But uh, I'll still go with Ebron. He's just, I, I think, so dynamic in the red zone, and he already has an established connection. And I think like it's easier to bet on Ebron doing something similar to what he did last year than to bet on Funches succeeding when we've never really seen him have much success. So I'll go with Ebron, but I think it's going to be close. Uh, Adam Humphreys signing with the Titans. Yeah, it's kind of the Cole Beasley thing. I mean, adding one of these guys that's so good at getting open and consistently catching it, obviously great for the quarterback and great for the offense, but I don't think we're going to see any fantasy relevance here. He caught at least 55 passes for uh, at least 600 yards in each of these past three years. But at the same time, Tampa Bay was number four in pass attempts last year. Tennessee was 31st. So we got Delaney Walker coming back as well. I mean, it seems like Humphrey's going to enter a season as a number three pass game option and one of the league's most run-heavy offenses. So I'll be staying away in uh, pretty much all forms of fantasy. Peyton Barber re-signing with Tampa Bay, which I think is actually a really underrated, uh, under-the-radar signing uh, because there's you know a real chance he could just end up being the lead back there again. Yeah, at least to start. I mean, we have seen, I mean, some of the guys in, that Bruce Arians fed in Arizona, like Andre Ellington, uh, washed up Chris Johnson. He wasn't afraid to feature these backs that didn't necessarily have David Johnson-esque ability. With that said, I think because they don't have a back that's like David Johnson, I don't think they're done addressing the position. And we could see them try to get a running back earlier in the draft. But maybe not because they still got Ronald Jones, who was their second-round pick last year. So it's an interesting situation, but I'm with you. I mean, it wouldn't be shocking if Barber enters week one as the starting running back. All right, sticking to Tampa Bay, Brashad Perryman, we mentioned him earlier, has signed with Tampa Bay. What are your thoughts on him? I mean, he's always had all the talent. That's why he was a first-round pick, six foot two, 212 pounds with four three speed. I don't see why he couldn't have a few splash weeks. He's going to be working behind Goblin and Evans at least. I know you like uh, Watson to potentially beat him out, but I think there's an outside scenario where he could be Arian's new Smokey Brown and give us a few splash weeks. Yeah, I think that could happen. Geronimo Allison has re-signed with the Green Bay Packers. What are your thoughts? Is he someone that we should count on as a, as a starter for that team? I think so, because we've seen Aaron Rodgers have ridiculous success with him at this point. I mean, he's look, Rodgers has targeted 20 players in his career at least 50 times. Among that group, only Jordy Nelson and Allison have averaged over 10 yards, uh, 10 adjusted yards per attempt. A lot of the times Rodgers is thrown to him, it's downfield, so they're pretty fantasy-friendly targets. And there's still holes in that uh, Packers receiving core because uh, they really haven't gone out of their way to replace anyone or add anyone other than losing Cobb. So I think we could still see starting three wide receiver sets of Devontae Adams, Allison, and then one of Marquez Valdez scaling or one of the rookies from last year. Okay. The next guy, Adrian Peterson has re-signed with the Washington Redskins. This terrifies me because he actually had 1,250 scrimmage yards last year, which is like, 
that's a pretty decent season, especially for a guy who's 33 years old. He had eight touchdowns. I'm a little bit worried that he is going to delay the development of Darius Geis, who I'm pretty excited about. But uh, what are your thoughts with Adrian Peterson? What are we potentially going to see out of him next year? Yeah, exactly, man. He was good last year, and he was actually playing even better before pretty much the entire Redskins offensive line got hurt around uh, week 11 or 12 or so around the same time Alex Smith went down. So, you know, great job on AP for really coming through after the entire league had written him off. But with that said, yeah, I mean, not only is AP there to take away touches from Geis, but Chris Thompson's still there to come in on pass downs and everything. So it's, it's tough to see Geis really entering week one now with a with a big role, especially coming off this injury. The question, I guess, is how well is that recovery going? Because it, I, I've seen some videos on Twitter and all that. It does seem like everything's fine, but it's, it's curious to see them resign AP because they were so high on Geis going into last season as a potential three-down guy. But I don't think AP would resign there if he wasn't assured of at least some early down work. All right. Uh, the next guy, Cordell Patterson, has signed with the Chicago Bears. I should just say, I know where you're going with this. and It's ridiculous, but go ahead. <laughs> All right. If you were called the guy averaging the most yards per rush in the NFL since 2000, minimum 50 carries, ridiculous. You can, Matt. But look, Cordero Patterson has been a running back, and the entire draft uh, community owes him an apology for calling him a wide receiver for all these years and trying to turn him into a bust because you put the ball in the guy's hands, he makes plays. He's the second best kick returner ever. And he was good enough to get Bill Belichick and Tom Brady to give him real snaps at wide receiver as well in pivotal moments of last season. So hats off, Adam Gase. You got yourself a playmaker. Yes. Uh, Super Bowl winning. Uh, yeah. Super Bowl I said Adam Gase. Not Nagy. That's on me. Yeah, not, not Adam Gase, but yes. Uh, you, you were thinking of, was it like a 2014 Adam Gase? Yeah. 2015, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, okay, 2015 Adam Gase. All right, Zach Zinner has re-signed with the Detroit Lions. I still have a, a flame for this guy. At some point, uh, his elite spark athleticism is going to uh, render all other running back options on that team obsolete. Probably not, but what do, what do you think here? I just think the big uh, point here is that it looks like Detroit's going to continue to use a committee system. Uh, ESPN's Matthew Barry had a nice article after the combine where he talked to a lot of coaches, and he said that his sense from both Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn was that they uh, they were pretty clear that they do not intend to give carry on a feature back role, that they both believe in multiple backs. So theoretic still there to take away some pass down snaps and you know i'm not quite as high zach zenner as you are i i, I like carry on and what he can bring to the table but I, I don't see any of these guys averaging over 15 touches a game which is obviously what we're looking for in fantasy i mean zach zenner is 28 years old it's about time for that breakout <laughs> Devonte parker has signed re-signed <laughs> amazingly with the miami dolphins Man, I was so ready to give up on this guy, and now I don't know. Maybe this is what all we need is uh, a little bit of Ryan Fitzmagic to to turn turn around the whole career for Devonte Parker. But nah, I don't. I don't think we're going to see all that much here. I, if I had to guess, gun to my head, I'd say Albert Wilson is the guy that emerges out of this as their uh, best playmaker this year. He he was really playing incredible last year. He was averaging over three yards per route run, which is something really only Julio Jones has done over the last several years before he got hurt. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what Albert Wilson can do in this offense, more so than Devonta. Yeah. It feels like Parker has been in the league at this point. Like we've been waiting on the potential breakout for like <laughs> seven years. You know, it just it feels like he's been in this limbo state forever. Uh, Latavius Murray signing with the New Orleans Saints. This one is really interesting to me. I had Murray essentially written off 
before free agency as someone no team should really be all that interested in, or I just, I wasn't expecting a team really to be interested in him, but signing with the saints is interesting because they historically have used a committee and he is a touchdown scorer. And if he slots in even as a lesser Mark Ingram, that could still have a lot of value. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. It's just a question of how close will he be used to what we saw with Ingram? Because Obviously, last season, those first four weeks when Ingram was suspended, we saw Kamara easily work as the RB1 just with the amount of targets and also just being the crystal clear uh, goal line back as well, which is so huge for him. But Latavius is definitely at least more competent than those Trey Williams, the types of guys that they tried to uh, get in there to replace Ingram for those first four weeks. So I don't know if we're going to see as close to a 50-50 kind of split that we had with uh, Ingram and Kamara, but I could see maybe a a 60-40-70-30 split, whereas a lot of people might think that uh, this is now just Kamara's backfield. All right, Frank Gore has signed with the Buffalo Bills to give them one of the oldest running back backfields of all time. Uh, (laughs) What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think the only point we need to bring up here is that uh, I think Shady McCoy's longtime reign as a very relevant fantasy back. If it wasn't already dead last year, I think we can go ahead and uh, put him down now because all Frank Gore does is come to teams, play well enough, and hit all his assignments to get snaps. And I don't see either of these running backs now playing any amount of significant snaps or get enough touches to uh, be a fantasy factor. And even if they do, now they got to deal with Josh Allen vulturing them every time they get close to the goal line anyway. Yeah, uh, I could seriously see Frank Gore outproducing LaShawn McCoy this year, which is just kind of amazing considering how old Gore is. Jamison Crowder signing with the Jets, uh, slotted to be their slot guy. What do you think? Okay, Adam Gase, head coach of the New York Jets, not the Bears. Uh, he has featured Wes Welker and Jarvis Landry, like huge roles during his time in Denver and Miami. We've even seen like Eddie Royal back when he was with the Bears and uh, Danny Amendola last year uh, still average at least five targets per game from the slot. I'm not a huge Crowder guy, but I do think this is a situation where he's going to be getting at least five targets per game. I don't think he's really going to be touching that potential Jarvis Landry, eight to 10 targets. So I, I still think Robbie Anderson will be the number one uh, target getter in New York. Uh, who do you think ends up leading this team in targets? Oh, man. Uh, I think Landry. Sorry, I, I think Crowder, actually. Ooh, okay. uh, I, I agree with you that he's not going to approach what Landry was able to do. But as you mentioned, like just even from the time he was the offensive coordinator, with the Broncos, uh, he was funneling targets to Wes Welker, Eric Decker, and Emmanuel Sanders in the slot. And then, uh, you know, even Amendola saw some decent run last year. And I think that we should see probably something like in between what Crowder has historically seen and what Amendola has historically seen just in terms of targets, which I think could still give him something pretty close to like 95 targets, maybe 100 targets. I don't know how interested they're going to be in Robbie Anderson. Like, I like him, but Darnold didn't really establish a super strong connection uh, with either Anderson or Inunua. And Gase is just a guy who likes to funnel targets to his slot receiver. And they, you know, they did go out of their way to sign Crowder when they could have signed someone else to play in the slot. So, I, like, I think they actually like him. That's why I'm expecting him to, to be the guy. But I don't expect it to be, like, a huge target share. That's fair. Danny Amendola. Uh, signing with the Lions. What do you think? 
It'd be the most Detroit thing ever if Stafford just turns around and starts feeding Amendola like Golden Tate level targets. But I, I really think this is like their move to not do that anymore because the two most efficient targets of Stafford's career, minimum 50 targets, have been Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay. I mean, both these guys, they can really work any area of the field. They got some speed. They can go up and get the ball. And we've seen both of them do it like consistently throughout their career. So uh, getting someone out like Golden Tate that was demanding so many targets made sense for the overall ceiling of the offense. I'll tell you what, though. I'm excited to take Marvin Jones about four rounds after Kenny Galladay in all these season-long drafts because, I mean, look, Kenny G is a baller. There's no debate in that. But I think there's still pretty close uh, comparables in terms of production for this year. And, uh, and we have seen Marvin do a little bit longer than Kenny. Yeah, we should think about this and maybe uh, come up with some sort of bet on it. I would bet on Galladay outproducing him. I mean, I bet you probably not, would too, yeah. but you, you'd take the value with Jones. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, the final guy, and actually I think kind of significant to talk about, Carlos Hyde signing with the Chiefs, which you know potentially could mean some good things for Damian Williams. It's a question of how early do you want to draft him in a seasonal league, but uh, there's some potential there. What do you think of Carlos Hyde? Yeah, so just figuring out who the starting running back is going to be in Kansas City is so crucial. Kareem Hunt was the PPR RB6 uh, before he was cut last season. Damian Williams came in and was the RB5 from weeks uh, 13 to 17. So originally when Hyde got signed here, I, I was pessimistic towards Williams. I thought it was just a sign that we could see uh, some type of a committee, but he changed my mind a little bit because this is Hyde's fourth team since 2017. He really doesn't offer uh, much ability as a receiver. So it seems like Damian Williams, even as a worst-case scenario here, we're still looking at a guy that is going to play, I-, I would think, 60% of the snaps and get most of the pass down work. Uh, is that how you're kind of viewing this as well? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And Williams, he's a guy who in the NFL hasn't had much work. So that you can hold that against him, but I'm kind of taking the other perspective in that like he's older, you know, relative to what you would ex- typically expect out of a back who like might quote unquote break out, but he, you know, he doesn't have much wear on the tires. And in college, he was actually really productive. He's a big guy who's fast, he, you know, he has good athleticism and he does have this skill set of being able to catch the ball, which is very important for the Andy Reid offense. So yeah, he's someone I'm I'm very interested in and will probably be targeting in redraft leagues. Yeah, 100%. It's just a matter of uh, – I don't know if Williams will be kind of a consensus first-round pick or anything because if he's not, he's going to be one of those guys in the second or third round where I think he gets drafted and everyone kind of groans because they were hoping he'd fall to him because, uh, yeah, assuming he can get that uh, 60% or so snap roll, uh, it's going to be nothing but good things in that Mahomes offense. Yeah, like right now he's not a first-rounder, but I think he probably should be. And I, th- I think the closer we get to the start of the season, the higher his ADP is going to, uh, to rise. So, Agreed. yeah, I think he's someone to get now if you are in best ball leagues because you, you probably won't be able to get him or you won't want to get him later when you have to uh, pay a higher price. Ian, anything hey, actually, Matt, yeah, yeah, we, have, we have one more guy to talk about hot off the press. The Cowboys are giving former Packers wide receiver Randall Cobb a one-year $5 million deal to be their new little Cole Beasley. Thoughts? Yeah, uh, I'm not really expecting much from him, just like I never really expected much from Cole Beasley. <laughs> but um, I, it's, it's not like one year for $5 million. Uh, I mean, he's not yet 30. It's not a bad signing. I think that's actually a pretty decent signing. They don't have much to lose. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Beasley was talking about 
one over 20 million guaranteed. So at the very least, I mean, it's putting in a proven guy uh, into a position of need that they were still without a slot receiver and talking about putting Alan Hearns there. So from that perspective, I'm fine with that. I mean, the thing is, I think Beasley at this point in their careers is probably more athletic than Randall Cobb, even though Cobb is younger. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. It's, it's been a few years since we've seen Cobb kind of resemble that uh, early career dynamic playmaker. So, yeah, I mean, but not, not a bad, not a bad signing only 5 million. That's not bad at all. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of the Action Network NFL podcast. Please rate, interview the show on iTunes, subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe. For Ian Harditz, I'm Matthew Freeman, Matt at the Oracle. See you again next episode.